Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then he called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. He's calling you and throwing aside his garment. He rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni. That I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. And he followed Jesus on the road. In Mark's gospel in chapter 10. It's consisted remember of a series of requests. A request for an interpretation about marriage and divorce in verses 1 through 12. A request for blessing, benediction for small children in verses 13 through 16. A request for information about salvation in verses 17 through 31. A request for honor, glory, exaltation in verses 32 and 45. And now there's a new request. A request for sight. A request for illumination in verses 46 through 52. The servant Jesus walks on the road. He has left the area of Perea and come to the area of Judea. He is on the road to Jerusalem for his final Passover. The geographical setting is important to us. Because from the north, pilgrims would come to the south in Jerusalem and almost invariably they would march through Jericho. They cross the Jordan and they enter into what is arguably the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. As a matter of fact, there were two Jerichos. The Jericho that had been occupied by the Canaanites that was ruined. And there was a new Jericho, a city that was built by Herod that was palatial. As a matter of fact, many of the of the priests who dwelt in the area would reside in Jericho. There were some 20,000 priests. There was a law in the first century that if you were a Jewish male over the age of 12 and you lived within 15 miles of the city, you were required to attend the major feasts for those who were blind, who were sick, who were diseased, who were poor, who were sinners, who were for some reason they were disqualified from the celebration. Often they would line the streets like a parade. By the way, this also explains in part how Jesus could depart from Jericho in Matthew 20, 29, draw near to Jericho in Luke 18, 35, come and go out of Jericho because there were two Jerichos and there were two blind men. In this gospel, Mark's attention is on one named Bartimaeus. His Aramaic name means son of Timaeus or bar 
Timaeus and he cries out for mercy. He's crying out for, well, pity. In the Bible, the loss of vision is often used for a metaphor for sin and sinners. We are described as living in a dark world. Our own vision is limited because of our sin. We as sinners stumble in this present darkness. And Bartimaeus is a type and a picture of all of our desperate need. He has a knowledge of that need and he's determined to have that need met. And by the way, people apart from Jesus are in the New Testament described as sinners walking in darkness. We live in a world that is a sinful world, a needy world, and the need might be physical, it might be financial, it might be mental or emotional or social. And the simple story of Bartimaeus provides a kind of a road map. Remember, we're on a journey with Jesus. And like I said, there are 15 miles that separate Jesus from incarceration, imprisonment, accusation, crucifixion, resurrection. The simple story of Bartimaeus provides us with a way to walk with Jesus on this journey. And I want to point out some steps to you that I think are fairly simple to understand. And you might want to jot them down, but you might want to just take a note in your mind. There are six steps. Number one, you must believe the reports about Jesus. And that's exactly where where Bartimaeus will be. He will be in a place where he can hear about Jesus and believe the reports about Jesus in verse 47. Number two, you have to be willing to acknowledge that you need Help. We see that at the end of verse 47. And number three, there's a willingness to keep on keeping on, to persist, to persevere after Jesus in verse 48. And number four, there's an eager expectation that you're going to receive help from Jesus in verses 49 through 50. And then in 51 and 52, number five, there's a specific statement of what is needed and he's going to spell it out. And then number six, there's a determined decision to follow Jesus in verse 52. And so again, look at verse 46, a blind man's request It says, now they, that is the disciples, Jesus, come to Jericho. And as he goes out of Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Like I indicated to you earlier, Jericho was one of the most important cities in the ancient world. It was a main commercial highway that ran from north To south, as a matter of fact, people from Syria would walk on a road called the King's Road or the Via Maris. It was also the way of the sea. People from Egypt going to Syria and from Syria going to Egypt. It's sort of like a half crescent. Like I said, right before the foothills of Jerusalem, the fruit there would ripen a month before everywhere else in the land. It was legendary. As a place where people could go and be refreshed. It's thought to be the oldest inhabited city in the world. And remember, it's Passover. Pilgrims by the thousands are making their way to Jerusalem. Blind Bartimaeus knows this. He's blind. He's a beggar. 
He knows what a lot of hurt people and isolated people know. And that is that religious people, spiritual people are very generous. As a matter of fact, if you go to a McDonald's or a Burger King or my favorite Chick-fil-A and you walk in there and you see someone who's in trouble and there's Bibles everywhere, who do you think that the people are going to go to to try to get help? Well, that's exactly the position that Bartimaeus finds himself in. He is poor. He is blind. He's afflicted. He's in trouble. And look what the text says. He sat by the road begging. And when vision is lost, the ear gate becomes sort of the source of input. And remember what I said to you, hundreds, thousands of people have lined the street. Bartimaeus sits by the side of the road. And as you can imagine, as people are going by, he's hearing all kinds of noise, noise from individuals, noise from families, noise from caravans. He's listening to the stomping of the camels. He's listening to the laughter of the children. He's listening to the heated conversations. He's listening to the rude jokes. He's listening to the tone and the excitement. And you can imagine in this place where he begs, he hears stories. Did you hear about Jesus? Did you hear about the rabbi from Nazareth? Did you hear the stories about what he's done, the things that he said, the blind eyes that have been opened, the deaf ears that have been opened, how lepers have been cleansed and how even... You're not going to believe it. Dead people have even come back to life. Bartimaeus has heard these stories. He hears the conversations. He hears bits and pieces. How long has he been blind? Text doesn't tell us. How long has he begged? The text doesn't tell us. The text doesn't tell us. If he has hope. Or if he's given up hope. He's living in a world where blind people usually remain blind. Do you think he's given up hope that he will ever have a normal life? That he will ever be a normal person? And so he does what hurt people and blind people and afflicted people do. It says in verse 47, and when he heard... That it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And by the way, in Mark's gospel, this is the first time that Jesus is ever referred to by his messianic name, the son of David. If he knows he's the son of David, then he may have some understanding of his genealogy and where he came from. How the Bible had promised that a Messiah would come and that he would come through the line of David, that he would be born a Jew, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob of the tribe of Judah, of David. And look what it says. He heard that it was Jesus. Now, this is an important point for each and every one of us. You see, the truth is, if you need help, then it probably makes good sense for you to position yourself in a place where you can get help. There's a reason why we encourage you to bring family and friends to church. It isn't just 
so they can hear from me. Hopefully it's so that they can hear about Jesus, so they can hear the message of love and the message of forgiveness. There's a reason why even at vacation Bible school time where we invite families and friends from all over the community to come to this place. And guess what? The kids are going to have fun by the boatload. But they're also going to hear about Jesus. They're going to hear stories about Jesus, the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus. They're going to hear about how he came and how he died on a cross and how he rose from the dead. The blind man positions himself in a place where he might have a chance to hear about Jesus. We have to go to those kinds of places. And this is very, very odd. The religious leaders and the nation, for the most part, are blind to the presence of their Messiah. They're trying to kill Jesus and get rid of Jesus. Yet here is a blind Jew with spiritual sight. Again, it's one of those crazy paradoxes. We've seen them throughout the chapter. Remember at the beginning of the chapter, the two will be one in verses 1 through 12. Adults will become like children in verses 13 through 16. The first will be last in verses 17 through 31. Servants will be rulers, it says in verses 32 through 35. Poor people become rich, verses 46 through 52. And in some sense, the blind see and the sighted are disguised and in darkness, their vision obscured. But he cries for pity, for mercy. And implicit in this request is the belief that the son of David can grant mercy. This Jesus claimed to be Israel's Messiah. And I just want you just for a moment to imagine yourself by that blind man on that road. And all of a sudden hope begins to swell up in your breast. Desperation ignites into a small flame of faith. Is there even the slightest chance? Is there is there even the slightest chance that something could be different in his life that he could be healed? Is it even is it even possible to imagine a different kind of life? And for many of us, that's exactly what we do. We wonder if we can imagine a life free from guilt and free from sin and free from the expectation and worry Of whether or not we're going to make it. Is it possible to have a different kind of life? And and I want you to just for a moment think with me about this person's condition. Why in the world would this blind man even consider even for a moment that Jesus might be able to help him? And I think you know the answer. I think you know the answer because it's the same thing that caused something to well up inside of you. Some spark of hope to ignite inside of your heart because you heard the same stories that he had heard about a Jesus who could open blind eyes and deaf ears and bring people back to life. And I remember having that same kind of an experience when I was a kid growing up. I lived in a world where there were a few boundaries. I lived in a world where my mother and father divorced when I was very young and and half of the time I spent with my my father and half of the time I spent with my mother. But there was no rules. There were few regulations. And clearly I was raised in circumstances where I didn't understand about God or Jesus. 
And one day a person brought me to a church service. And I heard a message of hope about John chapter 11 where Lazarus had died and and Jesus came and his sisters were there crying and he was inside of a tomb and he had already been dead for four days. And Jesus said to Mary, roll away the stone and Martha, roll away the stone. And one of the sisters said to Jesus, but Lord, he stinketh. That's old King James for his body's de- decomposing. And it was as if the preacher was preaching to me because I heard a voice inside of my own heart whisper, You stinketh. The wicked, filthy circumstances of your life, the rotting corruption that is your life, the wickedness that's inside of you is like a dead body decomposing. And it was as if I could smell the stench coming off of the surface of my heart. And then I heard the message that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came back to life. And just for a split second, just for a moment, just for a split second inside of my head, I asked the question, if Jesus could bring a rotting, stinking, decaying body back to life, I wonder if he might do something for me. Bartimaeus had heard the testimonies of men and women. He'd heard about Jesus preaching and teaching. He believed just for a moment the possibility that the testimonies might be true. He was willing to acknowledge his condition. There's a reason why he cries out for mercy, because that's exactly what he needs. He sees his condition before God. Without eyes, he can see the beauty of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the presence of Jesus and the evil all around him and the evil inside of his heart. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, says God's mercy is so abundant and his love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, he brought us back to life in Christ. It's by God's grace that you've been saved. The blind man may have been sitting by the side of the road, but he has already taken two important steps in the direction of a miracle. He's in a place where he can hear from Jesus. He's in a place where he's willing to admit his own condition. And you know what else he does? He draws attention to himself. Look at what it says in verse 38. Then many warned him. Be quiet. Look what it says. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Do you understand what's happening? He's persisting in his plea. Once again, the blind man calls him son of David. Now, let's ask again a question of the text. Does this mean that Bartimaeus has a full-orbed understanding of all that Jesus is, all that the New Testament declares? Maybe not. You see, sometimes we think that in order to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with Christ, that we need to know more. We need to know more. We need to know more about Jesus. And don't misunderstand me. I want to know everything about Jesus. But it's not more information that this blind man needs. 
It's mercy. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to just think about what's happening in the text. He's crying out for mercy and nothing else. He is blind and he is a beggar. And look what he's not crying out for. He's, he, he isn't crying out for food and he isn't crying out for clothing and he isn't crying out for money and he isn't crying out for a braille Bible. His is a singular need. It's a focused need. Whatever else is going on, he needs God's mercy in his life. And sometimes we think we need to know more about Jesus again. But the demand isn't for more information, but faith. One Bible teacher put it this way. We must ask people to think, but we shouldn't expect them to become theologians before they become Christians. Our journey begins with a reaction, a personal reaction to Jesus, a reaction to his love, a feeling of hope that this person might be the one person. This person might be the one person who can help me. And even if you've never been able to figure out everything mentally or intellectually, what is the response of your heart? And look among the crowd. Who are those people who are warning him to be quiet? The neighbors? Even the disciples? Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, be quiet. Bartimaeus, you are, you're making everyone everyone from Jericho look bad. Think about it. Bartimaeus, be quiet. Everybody's going to think that people from from Jericho are weird. Maybe they are. But Bartimaeus is desperate. And Bartimaeus is determined. And Bartimaeus won't be discouraged. He won't be silenced. Look at what the text is saying. The word cried means way more than that. It means screaming at the top of your lungs. I love being a grandpa. And I love having babies in the house. I have my oldest grandchild and another grandchild and a brand new baby. And the brand new baby has one language and one language only. It's screaming and crying. When she's hungry, she cries. When she's lonely, she cries. When she's wet, she cries. Yeah, there's only one one note on her guitar. And what Bartimaeus lacks in vision, he makes up in lungs. And he's unwilling to allow other people's shame and other people's guilt and other people's silence and other people's embarrassment to make him shut up. I want you to join with him just for a moment as he's thinking this might be this might be the only chance I ever have to escape darkness. And I'm going to take it. There may not be another time. There may not be another opportunity. I may never experience Jesus ever again. 
And what little faith he has, he stands firm in. And he refuses to believe the discouraging voices. And he may have had thoughts. He may have had thoughts for a brief moment. There may have been a voice whispering inside of his heart. There may have been a voice that said, Bartimaeus, you're blind. You're useless. You're hopeless. You're dependent. You're helpless. But then another voice whispers, but God made me. And Jesus is close by. I'm wondering if he can help someone like me. And maybe some of you have already given up. Maybe you've watched the parade and you've heard the voices and you've seen Jesus go by. But perseverance is the answer to desperate need. Because sometimes we have to pray a prayer over and over again. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 8, Jesus said, For everyone that asks, receives, and he that seeks, finds, and to him that knocks, it shall be opened. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And there's not a hair, there's not a molecule, there's not a fiber in his being that is doing anything other than crying out for for for. Christ's sake, the world screams, shut up, be quiet, give it a rest, pull away. But he says, I've got to keep trying. Corey ten Boom used to say, the Dutch patriot, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away your ticket and jump off. You sit there and trust the engineer. And you come up to a dark tunnel in your life. And the light is behind you and the darkness is in front of you. And you know that it has a beginning and a middle and an end. And you have to believe that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. David Sarnoff wrote, the will to persevere is often the difference between failure and success. Sometimes, sometimes you need to ask one more time and press one more time. J. Oswald Sanders was right when he said, quote, the perseverance of the saints is only possible because of the perseverance of God. There's a reason why you can hold on and there's a reason why you can ask again. God can fill your mind and your heart and your lungs with one more cry. And look what it says in verse 49. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. You may not see it in the text, but let me help you see what you may not be seeing. It says Jesus stood still. Why? Because there are hundreds, there are thousands of people and they are crammed and they are jammed. He literally stops and when he stops, so does the parade. In the first service, uh, Doug Smith was telling me about this time that he was out skiing at one of the, the one of the Colorado ski slopes. And there was there was a rumor going around. There was noise that was that was going about that said, Robert Redford is on the slope. And all of a sudden, all of the skiers started getting backed up. Everyone would stop. Everyone would stop. The whole procession stopped because they wanted to see Robert Redford. And Jesus has stopped. He stands still. He's arrested. He's at complete attention. 
You know what you need to ask yourself? What causes Jesus to stand still and listen? Few things impress Jesus. But faith and perseverance, that always gets his attention. Faith and perseverance always gets his attention. And look what it says. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise, he's calling you. How different the voice is all of a sudden. It even sounds like something Jesus would say. Be of good cheer. But again, you might miss something. Then they called the blind man saying, be of good cheer. The call to awaken emotions in blind Bartimaeus that he thought that he would never feel ever again. You mean there's hope? You mean emptiness might become fullness? You mean guilt might become innocence? You mean darkness might become light? You mean sickness might become wellness? You mean desperation might be turned into hope? Be of good cheer. In the past, he may have heard voices say, cheer up, Bartimaeus. You may not have your eyes, but at least you have. Well, maybe maybe you don't have anything. Maybe, maybe you should hope and pray that that you'll die soon so that all of this will go away. In the past, he may have heard voices say, cheer up, Bartimaeus, and he would hear the sound of a copper coin bouncing on the surface of his begging blanket. He doesn't have a cup. And he doesn't have a white cane. He has a begging blanket. And in that culture and society, the begging blanket would have served as his pillow and it would have served as his cover. And it would have served as the place where people would put coins and hopefully he would have enough copper coins that he might be able to buy a piece of bread. He may be able to to buy a meager meal. He might find some shelter. A serious call to faith requires an act of will as well as a word of hope. And Bartimaeus hears the words. He's calling you. He's calling you. Before people would shout, be quiet, shut up, give up. And every once in a while, you'll find yourself in a place, in a position Where perseverance and faith brings you to a place where Jesus begins to call you. He calls for you. He tells you that he loves you, that he's willing to forgive you, that he's going to place your life and he's going to put you in a different direction. And look what it says in verse 50. 
And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Mark adds that meaningful information. Remember, what garment is this? This is his beggar's cloak. This is the cloak that he used to catch the coins. This is his ancient welfare check. This is, again, more than just a symbol of his impoverished condition. This is the rag that lets everyone know that he's blind and that he exists because of the generosity of others. And he's getting rid of it. He doesn't want to trip and he doesn't want to fall. But it could be something else. It could be that this garment is an impediment. This garment is something that a beggar needs, but not a sighted person. This is the equivalent of throwing away the white cane. This is the the, the equivalent of, of, of tearing up the sign that says, I'll work for food. And whatever else Bartimaeus does, he doesn't want anything to slow him down in order to get him to Jesus. In one motion, he casts aside the hindrance, the obstacle, the objections, the expression. Look what it says in the text. He. He rose. In the original language, there's an insight. It's anapedesas. It's the Greek expression. He sprang to his feet. The image is excitement and enthusiasm and posture is always a sign of self-esteem. Have you ever seen that stupid show called The Price is Right? You know, according to this game show, you get prizes and they get people from contestants from out of the audience and they'll call out your name and they usually spring to their feet and they start yelling and screaming and pulling out their hair and running as quickly as they can for a refrigerator (laughs) or a dinette set. And the host screams, Gino Geraci, come on down! And the voices have screamed, Bartimaeus, come on down! And what a lesson for us. Why are so few excited and enthusiastic? We'll go to a sporting event or the premiere of a movie. We'll show more enthusiasm and excitement at a car show. Then when people get saved. What is it that's holding you back? What is it that's keeping you from running to Jesus? What is it that hinders? What is it that hampers? What is the objection? What is the garment that you're holding on to? What is the excuse that you're holding on to? In the book of Isaiah 55, 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon In in the book of Job, chapter 11, verse 14, it says, If iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in the tabernacles. It's Job's way of saying, if you're holding on to something, if you're holding, if you're grasping, if you're clutching something that's keeping you from Jesus, let go. Get rid of it. Drop it. And look at the servant's restoration in verse 51. It says, so Jesus answered and said to him, 
What do you want me to do for you? For those of you who've been following along in Mark's gospel, do you remember just a few verses earlier? James and, uh, and John came to him and said, hey, whatever, whatever we ask you to do, we want you to do it. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Same question. Different answer. James and John are asking for something that they want. Bartimaeus is asking for something that he needs. One is asking because of ambition. One's asking by faith. Perseverance. One is answered. And one isn't. That's the difference between faith and ambition. Faith asks for needs and ambition asks for wants. And Bartimaeus needed sight. And James and John didn't necessarily need a place of honor. And Bartimaeus knows exactly what he wants. Look what the text says. Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Rabboni means my master. It's a title of reverent respect. Bartimaeus uses the personal pronoun, my master. Do you understand what he's doing? For those of you who have children or grandchildren, you know exactly what he's doing. When my grandbaby says, my papa. It's an invitation. Bartimaeus is reaching out to Jesus. Bartimaeus is asking Jesus if he can belong to him. And all of his life, he has depended on others to lead him and feed him. Can you imagine if at this point in the story, Jesus said, Sorry, you're blind. You'll always be blind. The very definition of blind is not able to see. Bartimaeus, what you're asking me to do is not possible. Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? If I come to Jesus and I ask him to forgive me, if I come to Jesus and I ask him to cleanse me, if I come to Jesus and I ask for wisdom, I ask for guidance, I ask for direction, I ask for strength, I ask for courage. You see, the truth is every sinner who comes to Jesus and asks to be forgiven and asks to be cleansed is asking something that quite literally is not possible. Apart from his own sacrifice that's going to take place about 15 miles into the future. So what's the point of this passage? In a very real sense, Jesus knew what Bartimaeus wanted and needed. But Jesus needed Bartimaeus to ask, to confess, to make a personal confession to Jesus. In Matthew 10, 32, it says, whoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my father in heaven. And what is it that you specifically need? And Bartimaeus specifically asks for what he specifically needs. And look what it says in verse 52. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. The specific request finds a specific answer. Go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Jesus declined to answer the request of James and John. He wasted no time in answering Bartimaeus's prayer. And I suspect that Bartimaeus doesn't receive just a new eyes, but a new heart. He is spiritually free and physically sound and humanly dignified. He's made whole. In Hebrews 7.25, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to him must believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So when Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Is it his, is, is this magical powers, his faith, a force and his words, the container of the force? Or is this confidence in Jesus? I'll be blunt. Did Bartimaeus heal himself? No. Did Jesus heal him? Yeah. Did Bartimaeus really, truly, fundamentally, substantially, and unequivocally believe that Jesus could do what he was asking? Once again, we see Bartimaeus. Number one, believing the reports about Jesus. Number two, acknowledging his need. Number three, persisting, pushing, persevering after Jesus. Number four, eagerly expecting to receive the help, casting aside everything that hindered. And five, requesting precisely what was needed. But now we come to the sixth and final thing. Following Jesus. Look what Jesus said. Go your way. Go your way. Bartimaeus says, which way are you going? Which way are you going? I'll follow you. He says, and followed Jesus on the road. What road? It's the stretch of road that goes from Jericho back to Jerusalem. It's the road that is going to result in incarceration. It's the road of arrest. It's the road of persecution. It is the road of crucifixion. It's the road of resurrection. Bartimaeus says, I'm going to go where you're going to go. The text explodes with lessons, sight, vision, gratitude, Thankfulness, evidence of change, not simply sight, not just he sees, but he goes in a particular direction. There's an idea of growing and wanting to learn more and following Jesus. This is the testimony of loyalty and faithfulness. You know, it's interesting to see where Jesus finds people in the Bible. He finds Matthew. At a table collecting taxes for the government. He finds Nathaniel under a fig tree dreaming about a Messiah. He finds Peter by a lake. He finds John and Andrew following John the Baptist. He finds a Samaritan woman by a well. He finds Zacchaeus up a tree. And he finds Bartimaeus. Blind. Hurt. On the side of a road. Where did Jesus find you? Where will he find you?
Bartimaeus began his journey with Jesus with a need. But it continued with thanksgiving and gratitude and it finished with loyalty. You know what's interesting about that picture? Isn't a need and thanksgiving and loyalty a perfect picture of discipleship? That's what disciples do. A beggar becomes a disciple. A squatter becomes a pilgrim. And now Bartimaeus is alive. And he sees. And he walks. And he sings. Proof that Jesus is the servant and the Savior. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we continue our journey. And in chapter 11, The 15 miles are going to become 10 miles and the 10 miles are going to become 5 miles. And he is going to draw near to Jerusalem. And Heavenly Father, he's on a journey and so are we. And Lord, we already know where the journey is going to take us. To a place of deprivation and death. But also to a place of glory if we're willing to go. And Heavenly Father, I pray for that person who finds himself or herself in a dark place, in an empty place, in an impoverished place. And Lord, they are wondering if they can take a chance, the same chance that Bartimaeus took, that this is my one chance to leave darkness and enter light, to leave sin. And experience salvation. To leave a life of selfishness and loneliness and deprivation. And experience a life of love and joy and forgiveness and peace and hope. Lord, we know that there's no magic in a prayer. But we know that there is a powerful force when we believe that what you say is true. That Jesus can forgive sin. That Jesus can banish darkness. That Jesus can cause us to embrace the light. That Jesus can forgive us and restore us and renew us and change us from the inside out. Lord, I pray that there's a man or a woman here who would pray that simple prayer. Lord, take me away from this place of darkness. Cause me to walk in the light. Lord, fill my heart with gratitude. Give me the courage to believe everything that you say is true. And Lord, I'm willing to follow you in the direction that you're going so I can be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.